Hello, welcome to Outside the Walls. My name is Casey. And I'm Mark. It is good to have you back on the podcast with us. We are coming out of Westside Church of Christ in Searcy, Arkansas, and this is a podcast. And this particular series in the podcast, or season, if you will, is following along the sermon series of our preacher, Nathan Guy. And the series is called One Sermon That Changed the World, and it's a sermon series through the Sermon on the Mountain. So we're getting close to wrapping it up. We here. are. Only one more yeah. podcast yeah, after just this. One more episode left in this season, and then we'll let you know what's going to come after that. But this particular week's sermon was called, Who Do You Trust? And so we're coming out of Matthew chapter 7 today, and we'll be looking at uh, verses 6 through 23 for this particular episode of the podcast. If you are unable to watch the sermon, uh, there's a couple of different ways that you can do that. You can go to our Facebook page to watch last week's uh, worship service. If you go to our YouTube channel, uh, you can actually pull the video that is just the sermon to watch it, or uh, you can also listen to the sermon. If you go to NathanGuy.com, he has uh, a podcast of his sermon. He also has sermon notes there. He also has a free ebook called The Living Living the Sermon on the Mount that, that we've used as one of our primary resources for this podcast. But that's free if you want to go there and dive a little bit deeper. It has a ton of resources listed in that ebook, <clears throat> like articles, different podcasts that he's tapped into, different books. There's three main books that that we also use in preparation for the podcast that he's used for his sermon series. And so uh, a lot of good material there. So go check that out. If you want to email us, we'd love to hear from you, podcast at wschurch.net. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, you can email that, and we will love to interact with you through those means. For today's episode, Mark, you want to share what our objective is today? Yeah, our objective is how to discern between truth and falsehood and those who offer true and false ways. Mm, that can be a that can be a tough thing to discern. So, mm. if you're new to the podcast, we want to welcome you. What we like to do is go through a few of our key takeaways as your hosts and then we'll go through some Q&As and some of these will be reflective type questions. We encourage you to pause the podcast and think about them, answer them yourself and then we'll kind of give give our feedback and then end the episode with a challenge for the week. And so that's what to expect in this episode of Outside the Wall. So let's dive right into it with our key takeaways. Mark, you want to get us going? Sure. Well, I'll start off with the scripture. I'll read through that real quick. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. 
Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And good, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Thank you. Yes. Man, I'm really going to miss going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is absolutely my favorite part of Scripture. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) good job reading. Yeah. So I guess a few of the points I wanted to talk about, a lot of times we read the scripture and I mean, I'll be honest, I grew up thinking a lot of these things when I read this and Nathan talked about it in his sermon. So a lot of people, sorry, a lot of people think of when they're reading through that part of the scripture, think of these different things. Don't throw your pearls before swine, which means keep myself separate from worldly people. Ask, seek, and not means only the people who ask the right questions, seek the right prescriptions, and knock on the right door hmm. will be blessed like me. <laughs> That's good. Um, the golden rule is this. Show others where you broke the rule, and maybe they can show me where I broke a rule. Hmm. And narrow, the narrow gate is my church with the right doctrines. The broad way is everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> uh, false prophets in sheep's clothing. That's churches people wrong on doctrine who try to teach it in my Bible class. Mm. <laughs> and the story about many who will claim Jesus on judgment day, but cast, be cast out anyway, are the religious people who don't follow the right prescription. Mm. Yeah, that's... I can't say I'm unfamiliar with these thoughts. I've (laughs) had these thoughts before. Yes, yes, as have I. (laughs) And there's a few other things that I think was pointed out in the sermon that I found really interesting. Because Jesus at this time, he was talking about the Pharisees Mm -hmm. very specifically, I think, but also to the rest of us as well. And one thing he mentioned is the ruling class always finds ways to make compromises in order to stay in power. Mm. I think we see that all the time. Yes. And then mentioning the Sadducees, that they cared more about power and politics than purity. Mm. I think we see that a lot too. Mm-hmm. And here's what I found really interesting because when we read, well, I guess all of the gospels, I've always thought of the Pharisees as these like mean, terrible guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in reality, that's not how most of the people at that time saw them. Yeah. And so I'm going to read this paragraph here. But there arose a group of scribes and sages who believed in the principles of the Maccabean revolt. They believed in holiness, purity, and the law. They chose the name Pharisee, which means separated. They promised to remain separated from the pagan Gentiles and the irreligious Jews. They demanded that the people turn back to the ways of God to keep the purity laws, to follow the rules, and not to be wayward. They were willing to stand up to their overlords, even to the point of death, to stand on the word of God. And over time, the common people saw the Pharisees as heroes who took the law of Moses seriously. Very interesting. Yes. Huh. It it stood out to me 
the description. I don't know that I've ever heard the 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 meaning of Pharisee. So thank you for yeah, pointing that out. That's interesting. But it's very interesting because you know we call ourselves the church, and I've heard it countless times. Like that's the called out. Mm. And mm-hmm. you said the Pharisees were the ones who were separated out or separated. Yeah, yeah, separated. Yeah. And so- <laughs> <laughs> and so that, was, that immediately triggered my mind to thinking, oh, man, a lot of people really pride themselves on being you know, called out and you know, maybe judge society around them because we're the called out. And yeah. It's like, that's also what the Pharisees were doing. Right. <laughs> and all of these things sound good. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I want that. I want that. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus says not to trust them. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's yeah. a shock. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've said it before whenever I've preached in the past that I feel like I would have probably made a good Pharisee, but it's not for the reasons that you just pointed out. Like people look at them as, you know, their hero and, you know, upstanding. I would make a good Pharisee because I would be very harsh and judgmental. <laughs> so that, that paragraph kind of painted, you know, a positive perception of what people may have seen the Pharisees in the first century. Uh, and oftentimes whenever I think automate a good Pharisee, it's not because I think that highly of myself, but because I look at the Pharisees in the negative light that I guess our 21st century lenses provide. I've had this conversation with my wife and she's told me the same thing, that she would be a really good Pharisee because she's definitely a rule follower. Yeah, yep, <laughs> She, she likes to stick to the uh-huh. rules very strictly. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're a little side note on Phariseeism and uh, rule following. We we're, we're talking about that in in our Wednesday small group, going through Ecclesiastes, talking about rule followers. You know who's a rule follower, and I'm a rule follower to the point where I'll turn my blinker on, turning out of my driveway. <laughs> If my wife is riding with me, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, what what are you talking about? Why is your blinker on? Because I'm turning. For all all the people behind me. The the rule is I'm turning, so I turn my blinker on. Like, that's how much of a stickler I am. Good job, Casey. (laughs) Again, not my best characteristics. Something else is that we see Jesus do it several times, but helping the poor or eating with the sinners and the prostitutes and things like that. And the Pharisees always looked down on him for those things mm-hmm. and would question him about that. Um, and one of the quotes, I guess, from David Garland, an author, he said, people who have something to do with religion usually would not want to draw these kind of people. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of true. I mean, yeah. typically... They're the harder people to be around, people that make you uncomfortable. Yeah. And Jesus is saying those are exactly the people that you need to be hanging out with. Yeah. Hmm. On the on this sheet, I have, if you want to know who sick people trust, find out who they go to for help. That's mm-hmm. very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think in his sermon, he said, um, if you want to know who hungry people trust, go to those that feed them. Hmm. So we need to be, as a church, the ones who sick people and hungry people trust to come to us. We Hmm. can't wait for anybody else to do that. Yeah. Okay, here's one. I came to open pathways between humans and their God, not create new ways to signify how far apart we are. I don't know if he got that as a quote or not, but... That was in a sermon. I thought that was interesting as well. Hmm. And then Jesus ended up asking the Pharisees in the book of Mark when the Pharisees were upset about him doing work on the Sabbath. 
again, they're rule followers. Mm. And he said, which is more lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, Mm -hmm. to save a life or to kill? That's Mark 3, 4. And it helps us realize where the important things lie in life. Also, I think a big takeaway from Nathan's sermon, well, we'll say Jesus' sermon. (laughs) Big takeaway from Jesus' sermon is that we don't need to think about what's true and false. We need to think about what's good and bad. Hmm. And he said that you can be true on something, but also be a heretic, hmm. which is very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a paradoxical statement. Like, yes. I'm right on this. Yes. But you're also wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of my takeaways was similar to that in that you can, you can be right on a matter and yet still drive someone away mm-hmm. from the church, which I thought was a, was a powerful, was a powerful, I guess, image. Like, yeah, we get so bent on being right about something. Yeah. But, uh, even though you're right, nobody wants to listen to you. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, which is exactly how the Pharisees you exactly. know, were at some points, you know, <laughs> like people knew that they were right. <laughs> they weren't very loving and compassionate. No, you kind of get tired of hearing, you know, the person that's right all the time. <laughs> you get tired of hanging out with them. Yeah. <laughs> I think Garland also quote, or this is a quote from Garland as well. Jesus does not fear being contaminated by lepers or sinners, but instead contaminates them with God's grace and power. Hmm. He is not corrupted by sinners, but transmits blessing on them. Hmm. If the object of religious life is believed to be the preservation of purity, whether ritual or doctrinal, one tends to look at the others as potential polluters who will make one impure. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Potential polluter. <laughs> I like that. So we need to not worry about contaminating others. We need to, yeah. or can we need to contaminate them with love? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm going to make a T-shirt that says that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Casey. What are some of your takeaways? All right. So one of the things that stood out to me right out of the gate was, you know, Jesus throughout the Sermon on the Mount is calling us to choose, and it's you know. Same thing in this text that we're looking at today. And one of the scriptures that was brought out early in the sermon was from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. It says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days. And so I thought that was a great kind of a great passage to kind of get our bearings in this sermon as as we think about who we trust, what which way of life to choose. And so it it was very I, I never really thought of it before the sermon that you know there's there's multiple choices laid out in this text today which I thought was very helpful to kind of hear. But there's, you know, there's two types of gates. There's a narrow and a wide gate. There's two kinds of roads, 
a hard road and an easy road. There's two kinds of sheep, real and false. There's two kinds of trees, healthy and diseased. There's two kinds of fruit, good and bad. Two kinds of prophets, true and false. Two kinds of people looking to enter the kingdom, those who do the will and those who only say they do the will of God. And so there's there's a choice to be made that Jesus is laying out as he's uh, kind of winding up for the conclusion of his sermon. And it's up to us to choose what kind of life we're going to live, what kind of person we're going to. And so, yeah, so there's there's two ways to read through Matthew chapter 7 and these particular verses that we're, that we're looking at today in that Jesus is taking aim. One of the ways to read Matthew 7 is that Jesus is taking aim at those who who do who fail to do what is right and then another way to read Matthew chapter 7 is that it's less about what we think and more about who we are and whose we are mm-hmm. which i i think is very true i mean you know it's it's easy to get caught up in and just trying to do what's right and every time we're going to fail in doing what's right and kind of the way that was that was highlighted to read Matthew chapter 7 was that second way it's less about what we think and more about who we are and whose we are and that is a child of god and so it's less about us and more about who who we belong to, which is God. I think it was also pointed out that, yes, it's the narrow gate, but in a way, if we allow it, that's the easier road to take because we're giving up all of our own power, hmm. all the control that we have. We're giving yeah. it up, giving it to God. Yeah. And so in, in certain ways, it's an easier yeah. gate to go through. <laughs> that's true. Than Simplifies to... life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, that's true. That's a that's a good perspective. So while talking about two kinds of fruit, that that particular passage, something stood out to me that Nathan said. He said, "A diseased tree will drive." So, and this is the quote that I was I was trying to find earlier that kind of connected with one of your takeaways. A diseased tree will drive someone away from the truth, even if what they have to say is right. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's one of those choices that you have to make, you know, good tree, bad tree, good fruit, bad fruit. And so you you might be, you know, a diseased tree that's driving someone away even if you have truth to offer, mm-hmm. which is is very interesting because I mean, you look at you look at different stories where the devil is is one of the characters at play and oftentimes he has truth. Mm-hmm. And partial truths anyway. And so uh, we don't want to get caught up in that trap of partial truths and end up driving people away. This quote I thought was helpful. Show me your goodness, then I'll believe you have something worth listening to. And it kind of ties into one of your takeaways as far as if you want to know who people that are in need trust, then go to those who are are helping them. And so show your goodness and I'll believe that you have something worth listening to. Also kind of speaks to the old adage, people don't care what you know until you show them how much you care. Yeah. 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 So kind of the same sentiment. Uh, Another key takeaway for me was whenever we're talking about two kinds of religions in these verses, a couple of, couple of points that were made, one that breathes life into you, a religion that breathes life into you, another that zaps life out of you, okay? You'll know the difference by the fruit. How is your religion working for you? I thought was a very biting question <laughs> that that Nathan asked right in the middle of, of this particular portion of the sermon. How is, how is your religion working out for you? And then another <clears throat> reflective question that, that was asked is, does your religious way of life 
announce the gospel without even saying a word. Ooh. And so if you were if you were a mute person, if you had nothing to say, would your actions display the love of Christ? Mm. <laughs> so that's an interesting. Those one. are some of our takeaways. So we'd be interested to hear any takeaways that you had. Uh, again, you can email podcast at wschurch.net, and we would love to hear some of your takeaways. And I'm sure uh, we can forward those on to to Nathan as well. Yeah, so. get his input. Yeah, Nathan, if you're listening, you can give us some of your takeaways <laughs> on the <Yeah>. sermon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump to our Q&A session. And again, if if you're listening to these questions, we will we'll read the question and we would encourage you to pause the podcast, kind of think about them, reflect on them. That's the, the point of this podcast is to dive deeper, help us reflect on the things that were said. And so take a minute, think about the question, how you might answer it, and we'll, we'll give our takeaway. So we'll kind of bounce back and forth. All right, Casey, have you ever done a big project and no one appreciated anything or anything of your work, anything in your work, except the bottom line? Yes. I would say <laughs> probably the last, I guess, quote unquote, big project that, that I worked on was a bathroom remodel. Yeah. And all the details didn't matter. The bottom line was, when can I use the toilet? <laughs> it's like, there is so much that went into this. And, and I'm, I'm feeling a lack of appreciation for all the details. And all you're concerned about is when you can use the toilet. And so, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard hard pill to swallow whenever. Of course, I mean, as, as you know, and as we broadcast it out to the world, when Nathan and I did the co-sermon that I'm externally motivated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> get external, I love external validation. So I do struggle with that. <laughs> Reading this question, it made me remember a project that I did years ago that I actually assumed that nobody knew how much was involved with it. Mm-hmm. And I assumed that they were just going to look at the bottom line. <laughs> but after I had done the project, there was, well, it was my boss. He made the point of bringing it up and how long it took me and mm. how much I'd invested in it. And it made me feel good. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that anybody else was noticing, yeah. but yeah. apparently <laughs> nice. they were. Nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number two, how do you keep score? Or I guess, you know, we could start off by saying, do you keep score? If so, how do you keep <laughs> score in your relationships and how do you keep score with coworkers? Mm. Do I keep score in my relationships? Probably. But I can't think specifically yeah. of how I would do that. Maybe not on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then how do I keep score with coworkers? Definitely how much I'm getting out of what they're doing. Yeah. So it's a selfish yeah. way. I know it yeah. is. And yeah. I need to work on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like I said, I'm, I would make a great Pharisee, and I very much do keep score. But it's not on purpose. It's just very subconscious level of keeping score. But, yeah, I definitely, you know – I mean, even thinking about like, you know, a, a father-son relationship, you know, like, you know, a question might be asked as far as, you know, why why they have to do a particular chore. Hmm. You know, it's easy to try and bring up the score of that relationship. <laughs> like, well, I'm letting you live in this house for, for me. You know? <laughs> but I mean, whenever it comes to like, you know, a marital relationship, you know, it's it's very challenging not to try and keep tabs on who's done what. And so I, I have to consciously fight against that urge to to keep score. And and Nathan, I think, posted it a few weeks ago, but one of our loving secretaries put up a star chart. Yes. Uh, so yeah. it's hard not to keep score whenever you got that star <laughs> chart motivating. 
<laughs> but really, I only count how many stars I have. I don't pay attention to anybody else's stars. Oh, no, I definitely look at your stars too, man. Because oh, okay. I'm a good Pharisee like that. <laughs> <laughs> so that being said, how does your church keep score with one another? Hmm. Star charts. <laughs> it's like when you're a kid in Bible class and they used to put up the stars for your attendance. Yeah. Remember that? And, and if you brought your Bible to class. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I, I, I'm prayerful for because we have it coming up in a couple of months is gathered to share, I think is what we're calling it. A common name might be Ministry Expo mm-hmm. that we're doing here. It was originally going to be this month, but there's just a lot of stuff going on. So we moved it to January and something similar had been done at Harding in years past. And I think they called it Ministry Expo or maybe Church Expo or something. But you know, all the churches were invited to to set up a table. And I'm not going to lie, it it always made me feel somewhat awkward, I'll confess, because I felt like it was almost a competition, you know, yeah. like who has the best candy, you right. know, they got king size, but we only have, you know, fun mm. size. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so uh, you know, I, I'm prayerful that whenever we do the gather to share, it's more of a, the aim of it, the focus objective of it is, you know, how can you get involved? And it's not meant to be like a, a competition or keeping score amongst, you know, what ministry is doing more to service the kingdom of God. You know, that's <laughs> not the intention. And so I'm prayerful that the that the objective will be fulfilled. And that is just simply, how can you get involved and not necessarily looking to somebody who's serving in another area and thinking, I'm doing way more than them or, you know, self, self-deprecating like, oh, they're doing way more than me. You know, that's that's not the point in, in getting involved and in any ministry. And so, but I think sometimes we often unconsciously do it. Yeah, I, I do it all the time. I think I'm better now than I used to be because I know mm-hmm. it wasn't one of those things where I put people on pedestals, but I would definitely, if one thing negative happened or I I perceived something negative happened with somebody, okay. suddenly that person just dropped down on my ladder of people mm-hmm. to look up to. Right. 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 <laughs> and I, I don't think I do it as much now because I, I guess I've since realized that we're all messed up. Mm -hmm. We all make mistakes. And that's the reason we're here is because we make mistakes and we're forgiven here. So we need to forgive each other. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some practical ways. What are some practical ways you can change the way you keep score with one another in your home? I think I can broaden that maybe even to, to your church. What are some practical ways we can change the way we keep score? I guess kind of like what I was just saying is realize that we fall short too. Yeah. <laughs> We're imperfect. Yeah. And yeah, we don't always see what other people are going through. You know, somebody may be having a bad day because something terrible happened. They may mm-hmm. have family in the hospital or something like that. Yeah. So that forgiveness is definitely something that we need to remember. Yeah, I mean, that goes along perfectly with what Jesus said just previously to this text that we're looking at today, and that is take the plank out of your own eye before you look to take the speck out of your own eye. And so, yeah, definitely a practical way would be before, you know, if you have any kind of, I guess, temptation to keep score against somebody else, first take a step back and think, okay, 
what what could I improve in my own life? How can I serve better? What things do I need to to change before I go and try and you know point out somebody's speck in their eye? Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely. What does Jesus mean that the way of life is narrow and difficult? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think you know whenever he talks about narrow, you know he says that there are few people that that find it. He talks about it with the way of life that is narrow and hard. Few people find it. And so, you know, you mentioned easier or earlier how, I guess, paradoxically, that might be actually the easier way to live, you know, by giving up, <clears throat> by giving up all the things. However, it's, it's hard to take that step. You know, once mm-hmm. you get there, it might be an easier way to live. But I guess finding that, I guess that starting point of just giving giving up all the the world around you in order to follow Christ that that's challenging and so i think whenever he's talking about the narrow way of very few people you know actually actually find it uh, because it is narrow it is it is hard to it is hard to do and so i think that's why he kind of parallels the narrow gate and the and the hard way of life because not many people find it I think we as people tend to be selfish. Mm-hmm. That That's kind of our human nature. And th- that's the hard part is giving up that selfishness mm-hmm. because we want to have control over what we do and we want people to n- see what we've done mm-hmm. and praise us for what we've done. <laughs> and letting those kind of things go are the hardest, I think. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. All right, next question. What do you think is the, quote, bad fruit that the false prophets will produce. What do you think is the bad fruit false prophets will produce? So there's, I guess we need to make sure that we realize when we're talking about false prophets or false teachers, Mm -hmm. there's a difference in a false teacher or a teacher that says something false and a teacher with bad intentions. Okay. You know, I, I don't know, Casey, maybe you had a sermon years ago or taught a class years ago that maybe you didn't say something exactly correctly or mm-hmm. or that you've learned since then. Mm-hmm. I know I have. And so it's like at that point, maybe we said something that was false or not exactly correct, but that doesn't make you a false teacher. Okay. A false teacher is someone with, I guess, bad intentions mm-hmm. to begin with. This gets in a whole different debate because the Pharisees also thought they were doing the correct thing Mm -hmm. um, and they probably had good intentions, but for the kingdom, ultimately it was bad. Yeah. So so I think bad fruit is something that I guess pushes people away from the kingdom. Yeah. That's a long way to say that. Yeah. So you think if I'm I'm hearing you correctly – you think the bad fruit has to do with intentions? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. I can see that. I can get on board with that. I mean, again, I think that ties back to the beginning of the chapter when Jesus is talking about judging each other. And I think you're right because I think about the story, the interaction that Priscilla and Aquila had with Apollos that Paul outlines in First Corinthians and, you know, Apollos is, is or maybe, no, I'm thinking of Acts 18. Yeah. 
I think Apollos is mentioned oh. in First Corinthians, but I think this interaction is in Acts eighteen, yes, yes. Uh, the first few verses. And so, you know, Apollos is is teaching baptism of repentance, baptism of John the Baptist, and Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside and mm-hmm. they gently correct him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like, "There's you're missing something. You're not fully informed." They don't do it publicly to ridicule him. They take him aside and teach him. I think the text says more accurately the ways of truth. And so he goes about and starts, you know, preaching the fullness of the of the gospel. And I think that is a good example of what his intention was. If his intention was to, I don't, you know, you're uneducated. You don't know what you're talking about, Priscilla and Aquila. Like, you, you know, what were they, tent makers, if I if I remember correctly? Uh, you know, you know what you're talking about. You know, I come from Alexandria. Like, I'm a very educated person. Like, you know, don't, don't tell me how to preach kind of thing. All of a sudden, their intentions would be very negative. They wouldn't have the spirit that Jesus talks about in the beginning of Matthew chapter 7. And all of a sudden, those bad intentions or that bad fruit, like you mentioned, would be as Jesus describes, a sheep in wolf's clothes, mm. and and so yeah, I I think you're I think you're right as far as bad intentions could be part of that bad fruit, and I think that bad fruit could also be the teaching in and of itself, and if it is incorrect teaching, it's up to the church, it's up to individuals like Priscilla and Aquila to pull people aside and teach them more accurately, and then. They course correct, mm-hmm. like you said. You know, you you learn more and you course correct. And so, you know, if somebody says something wrong, you know, we don't automatically label them as a as a false prophet, you know, false teacher. No, we we correct them and give them an opportunity to to course correct. And and so that's exactly what Apollos did. But the Pharisees were unwilling, unable to to take criticism like that. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus says, "Beware of them." Yep, that's a good point. So next question. How can we identify who are the true and false prophets today? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, plainly put, you know, Jesus says you'll recognize them by their fruits. <laughs> yeah. I think he repeats it twice. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so, you know, how do we how do we recognize somebody? First of all, you know, uh, I think there is, you know, the the way that Jesus had his apostles set up the church. I think there are some hedges of protection that the church has, some spiritual leaders, spiritual guides that are in place that will help protect, identify true and false prophets, but also looking at somebody's intentions. I really like that you that you pointed that out. I think is a is a good way to identify if if somebody is a false prophet is by looking at not just their teachings, not just the the people that they're surrounding themselves with, but also, you know, what their you know, what the, what are their motives? I think nowadays with TV, internet and all that kind of stuff, there are probably very specific people that we can think of when we think of false prophets, mm-hmm. big names out there, mm-hmm. things like prosperity gospel, stuff like that, yeah. that tend to be the first that come to my mind. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole lot more than just those few quote unquote famous people right. that we need to be on the lookout for. Right. There's probably people around us every day that we need to watch out for yeah. and try to help correct them if if they need it. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and the world that we live in is so much 
I guess, bigger in scope than it was in the first century because of the phenomenon of the internet. (laughs) I mean, because of social media. And so, you know, some people think it's their personal mission in life to go and, you know, correct every, every preacher that's out there. But, you know, obviously in the, in the context of, of the first century, you know, they weren't going to be listening to online sermons and, you know, going and posting things on social media for, you know, this preacher that's, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. And like their whole life is spent, you know, trying to correct all these false prophets that are out there. And so I think you could probably drive yourself, drive yourself mad, but, you know, looking at your immediate context, you know, the, the people that are in your immediate sphere of influence in your in your local congregation. So I, I say that to say I don't think it's our responsibility to go and, you know, try and bring somebody back into the fold that's, you know, out there. Otherwise we're gonna be spending our life, you know, being that <laughs> being that sheep herder, I guess. And I don't know that uh, Jesus is calling you to do that. <laughs> Stay in your lane, he might say. <laughs> Last week's class I shared at the very end something I had found on Facebook and I don't know when you're listening to this now. Last Sunday, we turned our clocks back. Mm. And so I saw on Facebook, there's a picture of Benny Hinn. (laughs) And it said it was National Benny Hinn Day because it was time to fall back. (laughs) (laughs) And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can probably look that up online. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Okay. So according to Jesus, what is the entrance requirement for the kingdom of heaven? Entrance requirement. Okay. All right. Entrance requirement based on what we're looking at here. Hmm. Well, the last last part of what we read, he says, you know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So it seems like, you know, a simple, you know, confession or acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord is is not is not all it takes. Uh, just simply recognizing that God is God, that Jesus is the Son of God, you know, it, it seems like according to his Sermon on the Mount is is not what he's looking at, but mm-hmm. rather whoever does the will of my Father. And so there's some action requirements for entrance into the kingdom. And so it's not just a matter of, of cognizant belief or even verbal confession, but there's not that those things are unimportant, but it takes some action as well. Mm. And how do you relate that to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Well, let's just turn over there. Ephesians <laughs> 2, 8, 9 and read that. Something that, you know, comes to mind as we think about, you know, this this idea of entrance requirement makes me think of James, who is the the brother of Jesus. He writes in his letter that faith without works is dead. And so there's this James understood that there there's more to it than just faith and there there's some action required there's some works that are required and not the same kind of works that Paul is talking about in his in his letters mm-hmm. you know the works of the flesh or not the works of the flesh but rather the I guess the the works of the law uh, you know things like circumcision and dietary restrictions things like that I think is what Paul was getting at but I think Paul and James are, would definitely agree that that good works are a good thing and I think that's kind of a somewhat of a lead into Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 it says for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast all right and I'm going to go on and read the next verse okay okay for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for 
good works, <laughs> which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, yes, it is absolutely by grace that we are saved and we are created for good works. And so there's a purpose that we have as disciples of Jesus uh, to go about. We were created for the purpose of fulfilling those good works. We're not saved by the works that, that the Pharisees were putting out. You know, you have to be circumcised in order to gain entrance into the kingdom. You have to follow Sabbath rules. You have to follow these dietary restrictions. You have to do all the things. No, those aren't the works that we're, that we're saved by. We're saved by grace, but we are created for good works. Mm. So. Which there's a lot of churches out there that kind of teach that, that you have to follow all these prescriptions, mm-hmm. I think is what we've been calling it. And that just brings us back to false prophets. <laughs> and that's exactly what some of these people are doing is teaching this salvation through works that we need to be very weary of. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess with that, we will start to wrap things up. We do right. have a challenge for the week. Yes. Pick out three things Jesus cares deeply about and live it out this week. All right. I challenge us to do that every week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I suppose a lot of these challenges would be, you know, every week kind of challenge, but it's good to have focus, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give a single challenge point for the week. So, yeah, three things that he cares deeply about and live it out, all right? Mm-hmm. So you can pull those from Matthew chapter 7. So next week is the last sermon of the sermon – the last sermon – of the sermon that changed the world. That's right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so it's, I guess, I'm assuming Nathan is probably going over the last few verses of this chapter, mm-hmm. uh, chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Yeah, the end. Okay. That's it. So. Oh, yeah, I've, I've heard a few stories. This should be an exciting week. So <laughs> okay. if, if you're able to watch live, watch live. If you're able to watch live in the building, come in and say hi and uh, enjoy the services here at Westside. Yeah. So we look forward to wrapping up this series uh, on the sermon that changed the world. And I uh, look forward to being with you for the last episode of this particular season next week. Until then, again, you can email us podcast at wschurch.net. And until next episode, love you guys. Love you.